Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. The co-host, as always, is Eric Eggers, who's both a vice president here at the Government Accountability Institute and author of the 2018 book on voter fraud called Fraud. Now, Eric, you know, I'm traveling this week. I'm in the great American Midwest, which means I am putting a lot of gas into a rather large SUV, and I'm feeling it at the pump. Uh, Gas prices, of course, are at a record high. I don't need to tell anybody that. Dude, that's how you know gas prices are high. If wildly successful best-selling author Peter Schweitzer is complaining <laughs> about gas prices, gas prices are up and the stock market is, let me check, oh, not up. So it's, <laughs> it's a tough crunch in the Schweitzer household. <laughs> but, but, but the burdens right. are immense. The burdens are immense. <laughs> but, but, you're, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I remember um, I was actually at the pump today and like when I was in college, you know, we've all been there. You put like two bucks in, right? And that'll get you around for like three more days uh and i saw a kid try to, that's a real thing like i know you can't relate white white collar but the um but i saw a guy do that today and he literally put in like eight bucks <laughs> like that's the smallest denomination that will get you to and from a job it's insane yeah how much, very but, sad. but i still don't want to hear you complain because you drive is whatever however fancy vehicle you got you're still paying for fuel and gasoline diesel costs are out insane so it's like I'm paying even more than you are. So yeah, we're very familiar with the concept. Yeah, Eric Eggers uh, buys diesel. He is not a truck driver, just to be clear. Uh, he <laughs> drives a very fine diesel BMW SUV, Mr. Working Class Man. That's right, Working so Class. We, we want to talk about uh, gas prices today. And I think we've got a very unique take, which is fitting with the approach at GAI. We first want to look at the Biden administration's approach, uh, the horrific policies that they have enacted that have got us to where we are. But we also want to, I want to add a twist because there is major culpability here by large energy companies. Because rather than actually investing in fossil fuels and the sorts of things that fuel our economy, they are increasingly being attracted by these shiny objects, namely these renewable energy projects or things like carbon capture. Yes, you've got major American oil companies, rather than actually committing capital to developing new fossil fuel properties, they are actually putting their money into carbon capture and these other green energy schemes. And of course, they're doing so because they are they are incentivized to do so by the federal government, particularly the Biden administration. Well, that's why it's interesting to me to hear you say that you kind of hold them culpable because um, 
they are just following the money, right? Just like we do at GAI, the money that the Biden administration is placed in terms of incentive structures is not in, hey, do the thing that you do, oil companies. It's actually oil companies become, you know, refinery of like this new imaginary carbon capture technology or other renewable fuels. So why, why do you blame them, I guess? Well, I mean, yes, they're responding to what the government is asking them to do. But look, if I were running an oil company, of course, I'm not, uh, I would be fighting more vigorously what the Biden administration is doing. Uh, in fact, what a lot of the big energy companies are doing is basically being co-opted. They're going the path mm. of re least resistance, which I understand why you do as a publicly traded company. But look, you should, I think, stand up for your industry. Uh, fossil fuel energy is what fuels our economy. It will over the next 30 to 40 years, be the biggest source. And let's remember, energy is what fuels everything. I mean, people get enamored by Google and Facebook and Microsoft, these big tech companies. But hey, guess what? Uh, a lot of those products, when they produce the physical products, are made out of petroleum products. That's where plastics come from. But more to the point, uh, all the servers, all the mass data infrastructure that those companies need is run on what energy. So the energy industry is the backbone of so much of what we do. Unfortunately, the Biden administration has been at war. In fact, Joe Biden himself said during the 2020 campaign that his goal was to eliminate the fossil fuel industry. If we don't stop using fossil fuels, we're all dead. Doing away with any subsidies for fossil fuels, number one. Number two, holding them liable for what they have done, particularly in those cases where you're underserved neighborhoods and you, you know the deal, okay? And by the way, when they don't or when they're deliberate, we'll put them in jail. Kiddo, I want you to just take a look, okay? You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel and I am not going to cooperate with them, okay? Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, we would, we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated. So let's talk a little bit about the specifics of that, Eric. When we say that the Biden administration's at war with uh, the fossil fuel industry, certainly part of it is rhetorical, right? They, they said they want this industry to go away. Uh, what else is going on? How are they restricting the ability of these energy companies to develop these resources? Yeah, it, it is rhetorical. And there's something to be looked at in terms of the rhetoric that the Biden administration and other Democrats and Congress are using. But there's also actual policies, right? So last month, the Department of Interior announced they were canceling the scheduled sale of three offshore drilling leases, plus one in Alaska, and what that effectively does is allow the nationwide offshore drilling program to expire at the end of June without a new one in place. And that's actually in contravention of the law. The law says we're supposed to have, we are required to submit an alternate plan. And the Biden administration has yet to do so. It's June 20th today. Um, and so they're going to basically just kind of slow walk it. And it's interesting because they're blaming the fact that they don't have a new offshore drilling program plan on a lack of industry interest. But when you then look at the things that have happened in terms of Senator Elizabeth Warren's proposed tax on what she's described as excess oil company profits, 20 members of the House Democrats introduced a thing that would make it illegal for any financing to go to petroleum-based uh, development. So the oil companies, and that's why I guess I'm a little bit more sympathetic, the oil companies are like, look, guys, what do you want us to do, right? I mean, so uh, you are attacking us at every turn. And as you noted, we just played the clip of Joe Biden say we're going to basically end some form of this industry development. 
um, we're going to do what you want us to do, or we're going to do something else. I, I love that you use the term co-opted because it honestly reminds me of you wrote extortion over, I think a decade ago. And you tell the story in extortion. I think it was Sheila Jackson Lee, the Congresswoman from Houston. Was it, she was having a meeting with representatives from shell. Right. And then she, she made the comment in the open hearing, like, Hey, I, I know in Venezuela, they just take over the oil companies and then she then proceeded to have a fundraiser for, where she asked for a donation from those oil companies. And it's wild to think, oh, well, we would never do that. But look what's happening from a public policy standpoint. It's not Venezuela, but it's not not like that, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. They co-opt them. The energy companies want to essentially be left alone. And you mentioned Alaska. The same thing's going on in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, early on in the Biden administration, in early 2021, uh, they blocked all new offshore leasing in the Gulf of Mexico uh, on federal lands, which is, of course, a huge portion of it. Uh, a federal judge down there reversed that decision. But the Biden administration, for more than a year and a half, fought in court to prevent new drilling from occurring in the Gulf of Mexico. And now what you have, of course, is Joe Biden suddenly, now suddenly saying, oh, I want you all to turn on a dime and ramp up production because America needs it. Um, I don't know a lot about the energy industry. I haven't worked in it. As you know, Eric, I had a foray about five or six years ago where I invested in a couple of actual oil wells in the great state of Mississippi. Can I say I'm so proud of you for referencing? I was really, I was (laughs) trying to be such a good employee by not mentioning it. (laughs) That's right. My chance of being J.R. Ewing uh, went uh, went by very, very quickly. But here, here's the thing. Here's the important part. Uh, the thing that I learned from this, these were two small wells. And basically what I was told, and these were very experienced independent oil men, is you invest in these wells, you're actually going to start turning a net profit seven to 10 years down the road. Because there's so much capital investment that goes into doing the seismic study, then actually doing the drilling. If you then strike oil, you've got to have the capacity to extract it. The point is, is the energy industry can't turn on a dime. Uh, You know, people have the impression it's kind of like the Clampets. You know, remember the great show, The Beverly Hillbillies, where Jed Clampett shoots his gun, oil comes out of the ground, and then next frame you see them in Beverly Hills. That's kind of what Joe Biden's doing here. He's acting as if energy policy can turn on a dime at the government's whim. And it, to me, demonstrates his complete ignorance as best, uh, at worst, the fact that he's massively deceiving the American people by blaming the energy industry for a foundational situation that he has helped to create. And as an industry executive wrote in a recent Wall Street Journal op-ed, they said that companies expect that as soon as the current turmoil subsides, the Biden administration is going to shift back to and away from saying, hey, ramp up production. They're going to shift back to this hostile rhetoric and uh, all these anti-energy legislation proposals are going to kind of come back up. Right. So the oil, not to portray multi-billion dollar industries uh, in a sympathetic light like the oil industries, but they are sort of in a rock and hard place. Right. Because uh, they're, at one hand, they're vilified. On the other hand, they're like, well, we're making money on this. Well, you're making too much money off of it. And how come you're not doing this thing? Well, you guys are telling us not to do it. <laughs> so right, uh, right. Which, which would you like it to be? I guess my question would be, do we actually think the turmoil will subside if and when, if this is part of the plan, right? I mean, you got Jennifer Granholm, you got all these executives bragging about, hey, if you had a $60,000 electric vehicle, then it wouldn't be a big problem. Um, do we actually think that this is a temporary blip on the radar or do we think that I mean, these policies aren't going to change, right? So if the policies don't change, do we expect the prices to come down? 
Yeah, I don't think we should expect prices to come down uh, anytime soon. I think the Biden administration is certainly doing a lot of things because they realize the huge political cost uh, that they're paying for this. But I don't think they have any commitment to returning America to energy independence that we had uh, under President Trump. What you do have is this bizarre situation, Eric, where the energy industry, the Independent Petroleum Producers Association, presented a 10-point plan to the Biden White House to say, here's what we can do to get independent producers who are a very important sort of swing producer, meaning you've got all these smaller companies, but man, when they get in the game as they did five, six years ago, it really makes a huge difference. They proposed a 10-point plan, which was pretty simple, just in terms of giving regulatory clarity, uh, making leases available, making sure there aren't these uh, draconian restrictions on investing in oil and gas, which is something Biden's been pushing. The Biden White House has been radio silent. They have not responded. At the same time, what is the Biden administration doing? They're going to Venezuela, And now it looks like Joe Biden's going to go to Saudi Arabia. And the plan is to ask them in the name of, quote unquote, energy security to ramp up production. We know what the independent petroleum uh, producers in the United States want to increase production. What are Venezuela and Saudi Arabia going to demand to increase (laughs) production? And is Joe Biden going to give it to them? That's the real question that nobody is talking about. That's a great point. And I love how uh, golfers get vilified for going to Saudi Arabia to make a little <laughs> bit of money. The president goes over to Saudi Arabia. And it's like, no, he's attempting to address uh, the oil issue. No, that's it's wild. And so to me, like it, we're going we're doing everything the wrong way. Right. Like so you're yeah. instead of listening to the domestic energy producers, we're talking to Venezuela, we're talking to Saudi Arabia and we're incentivizing. This is the part that's wild to me. This is the part that sort of initiated the thought for this podcast. We're incentivizing oil companies not to make more oil-based products, not to get more gas in the pipeline to lower prices, but we're incentivizing them to pursue this carbon capture thing. Like this is, to me, and this is actually fairly concerning for a couple levels, which we'll talk about. So in the whole climate change movement, right? There's the whole, there's two different aspects of it. There's the reduce the amount of carbon that gets put into the air through lowering emissions and getting people away from, gasoline bikes, cars, things like that, right? Um, But that's apparently not working very well. And so the plans to boost carbon removal uh, just has fallen short according to like every expert. And so, and now that with everything's happening with Russia and Ukraine, it's sort of exacerbating that particular problem. Plus remember with all the climate change stuff, like we're not even getting China to do anything until 2050. So people are like, (laughs) eh, all right, maybe that one's not gonna work. So so they're shifting and they're shifting towards this imagined possibility of carbon capture, where the carbon's already in the air, will then just go grab it. And then this is the crazy part to me. After they grab the carbon somehow, they turn it into a liquid and they pump it into the ground. So I don't necessarily <laughs> understand, like I'm not smart right. enough to understand why that's better. But Yeah, that's- and why, why that's necessarily good. Uh, this does bring to mind, by the way, Eric, you know, there's always that expression uh, in Washington, D.C., that giant sucking sound. I'm thinking <laughs> actually carbon capture may involve a giant because they are literally trying to capture carbon and they're injecting it under the ground. And the plan is to pay these large companies and these very powerful, rich billionaires Big, big money to do this. I mean, this is insane. You, you uh, and the team put together a great um, uh, research packet, and you talk about the fact that Eric Schmidt, for example, the former CEO of Google, 
uh, is is involved in this. But you've got uh, big companies uh, that are also involved, um, Google and Facebook, McKinsey, the big consulting firm, big financial firms like UBS, the big Swiss bank, and Swiss RE, which is a large uh, uh insurance company based out of Switzerland. And then you threw this one in. The royal family of Liechtenstein is apparently big on this. That's my favorite. What insight can you give us to the royal family of Liechtenstein, if anything? Well, they're elite, Peter. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) And they they are interested in carbon capture. Yeah. I mean, but here's like, so I'm not smart enough to understand it. I don't think you're not smart enough to understand it. But clearly somebody is because, I mean, what's wild, and this is the concerning part. So this has been out there for a long time, right? Like the idea that we might do this. And historically, it had only attracted about $50 million in terms of like private enterprise uh, stuff. But then just in the last few months, like $2 billion has been pledged through private investment from some of these people, like you're talking about Google, Facebook, the Royal family of Liechtenstein. I'm not, you wonder how that is. Like someone's like, darling, put us in for a meal. Like, what is that? <laughs> That's a, how I imagine the Liechtenstein people talk, but here's what's great. So it's gotten so big, right? And this, and there's, and this is like speculative technology is part of the business model of big tech, right? Right. Right. And so this is, the marrying of speculative big tech technology, but oil companies are getting into it as well. Um, Occidental Petroleum announced that they're going to spend, I think it's a billion dollars on a direct air capture facility with this other Canadian startup. So, and I think Exxon's got an initiative that they're getting into the business as well. And so that's why it's concerning. It's not yeah. just, hey, big tech Silicon Valley people are going to do crazy big tech Silicon Valley things, but the oil companies are now investing in this and they're going to say, hey man, if the Biden administration, which they did, put three and a half billion dollars into the infrastructure bill to create hubs and incentives for us to pursue this, then that's what's going to happen. So, but here's, this was a line from a Wall Street Journal article about it. And this is what's crazy to me. The demand for carbon removal outweighs the supply by so much. That is to say the the number of companies that can actually do this. So, so much demand for it now, and there's so much private money going to it. The companies are committing to paying for removals that haven't happened yet using technologies that haven't been invented yet. That's, <laughs> that's a quote well, from the Wall Street Journal. That's what oil companies are doing now instead of producing more gasoline. Yeah, and here's what I would say. You use the word speculative. Um, I would probably push back on that and say, I don't know how speculative this is because the government is creating this demand. Mm. I mean, is there really a demand out there from the average American to say, I want more carbon capture, I'm prepared to pay for it. No, this has been created by the federal government uh, out of this uh, you know, notion that we have climate change and we've got to get carbon out of the air. And so to me, this is actually not that speculative. It's a boon because mm-hmm. now these companies, their customer, so to speak, is the federal government. And if they want to change the equation in terms of how much they're being paid or the regulations, what do they need to do? They just need to hire lobbyists. They need to hire lobbyists. They need to get people into the federal government to steer things in the direction they want to do. So I look at Occidental Petroleum, as you said, that's putting a billion dollars into this. They probably made a calculation, Eric, that we can put a billion dollars into doing more oil development, drilling for oil in the United States or overseas, or we can put a billion dollars into carbon capture. We're going to do carbon capture every single time because it's a slam dunk. you know, compared to the risks that you have with actually investing in fossil fuels. So to me, this is sort of corporate America, big corporations engaging in crony capitalism, where the government has created this demand and created this profit uh, structure and this profit incentive that's actually, I would bet, going to be better 
than the profits that they are reaping when it comes to actually producing oil and gas. And what is that's an excellent point. And you should also mention the the tidbit you emailed me about the Biden complaint about the refineries reducing capacity and like what those abandoned refineries have then been converted into. But why I'm concerned, especially with Google and Eric Schmidt getting involved in this process, right? Because I didn't realize this, but in doing the research for it, apparently Eric Schmidt runs a nonprofit that basically runs an aspect of the federal government. Like the, the White House has the this office of science. And yeah. it's essentially run, which that's kind of weird. But but um <laughs> like like you don't have an office of math. <laughs> you know, you just use right. math. But we, we we have an right. office of science and the foundation is controlled by Eric Schmidt, um, has played an extraordinary, albeit private, role in shaping it. More than a dozen officials in the 140 person office have been associates of Schmidt's and like he's like he's like making moves and he's basically running the office. So I'm concerned that if he's running the office of science and they're creating this market based on science and Google's investing in this thing, it's going to make them money. It just seems like it's kind of a tough uh, combination of incentives, none of which will benefit the American consumer. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Eric, it, could you imagine a Spider-Man movie where like a maniacal billionaire sets up an office of science in the White House? Spider-Man. <laughs> I mean, people look at that. Oh, this is absurd. They, 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 they've jumped the shark. Uh, but that's exactly what's gone on. So you've got this individual with very distinct, defined views on where he wants to take America. It's away from fossil fuels. It's towards renewable energy, which, <clears throat> by the way, he has large investments in. Uh, and that is steering a lot of this policy. And to the point you made earlier, about the refineries. You're quite right. On the one hand, you've got energy production. You've got to produce the oil. On the other hand, you have refineries. If you have oil that comes out of the ground, you can't use it for anything. It has to be refined and converted into diesel or regular gasoline. And the problem is, you know, Joe Biden has gone after refiners now saying, you've got to up your game. We're down 800,000 barrels in terms of capacity. Uh, of course, as the energy industry pointed out, the reason that capacity is down so much is at least half of that is capacity that went offline because it's now working on renewable forms of energy. And you can't build a new refinery in America today because the costs, the environmental restrictions are so high. So it's the classic example of the energy industry, which has been taken for granted uh, by the Biden administration. They ignored it. They abused it. They kicked it around. Uh, now they're in a crisis. Now, suddenly, uh, they're going to demand uh, that this energy industry bail them out and help them. And it's not realistic because you can't turn a ship around like this very quickly. That's why Joe Biden is going hat in hand to the Saudis, to Venezuela. And probably, I think ultimately he'll go to the Iranians as well, looking for a handout that shows how desperate he is. And it shows how completely out of touch he is to what the energy needs of America are and how energy is actually produced. So think about that, right? That's, I mean, it's such a great uh, contrast that uh, the president of the United States is traveling to foreign powers, specifically people who with internal political or cultural belief systems that we don't support necessarily, right? In Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, and, and in Iran as well. Um, and we're asking them for help from energy production. Meanwhile, the United States Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Granholm, it was reported recently she had divested herself from the uh, stock in a company that produces electric buses, right? Proterra. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it was just renewed that, well, she divested, but she also just exercised another 1.6 million in options. So yeah. she continues to make money off of an industry that their policies set up oftentimes in opposition to, right, where everybody is. And this gets to the whole, like, they're elites and they kind of don't care about you, 
when people sneeringly say, well, if you had an electric vehicle, then the gas prices wouldn't matter so much. I mean, it's one thing if there's a demand there, right? They've been selling electric vehicles for a long time. And that is, this seems to be an emerging market. They're creating yeah. more hubs. I think there's, you know, some concern about like, how long do you want to charge it and all that stuff. But right. if, if that's where the demand from the marketplace was, hey, that's awesome, right? Then, then let's support that industry, but don't support it at a cost to, um, where everybody else lives basically. And that's essentially right. what the Biden administration has done on a number of different issues. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Uh, Jennifer Granholm, of course, uh, was on the board of Proterra, which is the company that produces the electric buses. Those buses, of course, are sold in a subsidized way by the federal government uh, to uh, you know cities all around the country. Also, we should point out that her husband, uh, while she is the energy secretary, has a consulting business uh, and um, his past clients have included Google, Cisco, Facebook, and others, which of course are now the tech companies that are pushing aggressively into this space of carbon capture. So, you know, it, it's amazing to me the entanglements that exist, and you wonder why it is somebody like the Energy Secretary or Joe Biden uh, seem to be so out of touch. Part of it is, I think they operate in a bubble. I don't think you have anybody in the White House or at the Energy Department around Granholm that particularly comes from an oil and gas background and understands the business. But all the financial incentives, all of their investments, or the vast majority of them, incentivize them personally. They will benefit by there being higher gas prices and trying to force feed alternative energies uh, to people. And of course, they're wealthy enough. This doesn't affect them the way that it affects the rest of us. Well, you're wrong on one issue, because uh, I, I will say I recently saw evidence of an impact, of an impact on Joe Biden himself in his furtherance of green energy technology. I saw the video of him using renewable energy Riding a bicycle <laughs> and then falling off. Yeah, so it, yeah. So, you know, I thought it was an excellent metaphor of where, yeah, where we it, are. It, exactly, it epitomizes American energy policy. <laughs> we're pedaling along, we're doing great, and then all of a sudden we stop and we just fall over. That's that's America's energy picture where we are today. Well, uh, you've joined us on the drill down. Eric Eggers, as always, is my co-host. We appreciate you listening to what we have to say. You can find our podcasts on thedrilldown.com or wherever find podcasts can be downloaded. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time.